Welcome to the Going Pro Yoga Podcast. Namaste. My name is Paul Tioto, joined here with Michael Henry. Most yoga teacher trainings are becoming watered down and mediocre. So we've created this podcast to help supplement those of you who graduated from a teacher training and don't feel confident going out into the real world. Michael and I are lucky to have been trained by some amazing people. We've gone out into the world ourselves and had success, and we want you to feel confident to protect your students and to build your career with integrity and authenticity. Welcome to our podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Going Pro Yoga Podcast. My name is Michael Henry, and I will be your host for today. And today, I'm actually going to be sharing a continuation of a previous episode about my story. My story of how I became to be where I am right now, which is ultimately helping yoga teachers and supporting yoga teachers to be able to go pro, to be able to become a professional that can actually change the lives of those around them through yoga. And on the previous episode, I think it was episode number 39, I talked about my entire story from the time that I was 18 years old. And I took my first anatomy class all the way to the point of actually graduating and becoming a certified and uh, registered physiotherapist. So I basically ended the story there. So if you want to hear that full story, you can go back and listen to that episode, episode 39. And then you can listen to this one. And this one is going to continue that story, but dive in a little bit more deeper into the actual yoga perspective and how the two worlds kind of combined. The anatomy, the physiotherapy, and all that previous experience that I gained and how it kind of turned into basically me living in Bali here now and supporting yoga teachers through injury prevention, through learning anatomy, through um, priority cueing, this type of stuff. So the story left off with me ultimately graduating from physiotherapy school in Australia and I worked in Australia for about a year working in old folks homes, uh, retirement homes, doing um, community physiotherapy. Ultimately, I was driving around in a car, going to people's homes and treating them. Whatever issues they might have, it was, ge- it was generally the elderly, the geriatric community. And it was a great entry-level position for me to learn and to kind of get acquainted with, um, you know, working with people because it's one thing to study things and to learn things theoretically. And then there's another even more important thing, which is actually to put it into practice, to actually use it. And that's very related to yoga. You could learn and study about yoga all day long, but if you don't actually practice it and actually teach it, I mean, you're not going to be learning the same types of things and your the experience is not going to be the same. So that's ultimately what I was doing. I was providing services to people in the community by driving to their homes, to going to um, senior homes, retirement homes. And I did that for about a year before I moved back to Canada. And to be honest, it was, uh, it was a good first level job um, because, you know, I didn't really have much to compare to, but uh, it was getting a little bit boring um, and a little too easy, to be honest. Um, a lot of the geriatric care that I was doing was very minor. I didn't really have to like, you know, figure out people's problems, uh, injuries and stuff like that. So it was easy. I wasn't really being challenged. Um, most people that I was seeing had already been seen by someone else. So I wasn't the primary care provider, meaning I didn't actually have to provide a diagnosis or assess them to figure out exactly what was going on. Generally speaking, I could like pull up a chart or pull up their information and I could have a pretty good synopsis of 
their overall history. So that was, like I said, a very good entry-level position, but eventually I got bored of that, moved back to Canada, and I ended up working at an orthopedic clinic. Okay, so in this orthopedic clinic, um, it was a little bit more complicated. Now we're talking about people post-surgery, a lot of knee replacements, shoulder replacements, hip replacements, um, ankle surgeries, carpal tunnel surgeries, stuff like that. But it wasn't just post-surgery rehabilitation. You know, there could be anyone walking in the door who might have some sort of issue or problem, and then I would see them and treat them. Okay, so that actually cured the uh, wanting to be a primary care provider, which was nice. So I got to taste a little bit of what it's like to actually go through the diagnosis process and actually use those skills that I had developed in my studies. So that was pretty fun. Um, and because the surgical clients were pretty straightforward, again, basically, you know, if someone came in with a knee uh, replacement, the protocol to help them was pretty straightforward and it was pretty standard, you know, slight differences from person to person, but overall the, the rehab is basically the same. So whenever I did get someone to walk in the door that was, you know, different, unique, I, and, and had a problem that wasn't really as obvious, I got to really practice those diagnostic skills, which was really, really cool. Um, and if it wasn't so obvious already, uh, I really like to be challenged. I really like to problem solve and I really like to try to figure out how to do things better and more efficiently. So having the ability to actually diagnose someone's problems and actually help them fix it was, was a nice touch to my ego, to my drive, to my personality, whatever it is. Um, it was helping to fuel that part of me. And I worked in this clinic for about a year and this was in my hometown and, um, they actually took pretty good care of me because they wanted me to stick around for a long time. But to be honest, it was one of those large physiotherapy corporations that kind of spanned all across Canada. And I'm not going to name names, but ultimately the model is, it's a business model, right? It's all about trying to create a system where they can make as much money as possible. Um, Obviously, they wanted to treat people and, and take care of people and stuff like that. But the, the business, there was people that were higher up that weren't on the ground level that were making decisions for people like me to actually like treat people. And their standards or their protocols that they wanted us to follow was to treat three people an hour. So that's like one person for 30 minutes and then another person for 15 minutes and then another person for 15 minutes or, you know, one person, 20 minutes, one person, 20 minutes, one person, 20 minutes, whatever. The point is, is that's a lot to do in one hour. And the people involved were getting, to me, the short end of the stick. They weren't getting the care that they actually needed or they re they they required. Sure, with some of them with like the knee replacements, it was pretty straightforward. We could kind of go through that process. But other ones, I felt like they needed a little bit more attention. And it didn't really sit well with me. Needless to say, I didn't leave that job for that reason. I actually left the job because I wanted to move to a, a bigger city, to Ottawa, which was the capital of Canada. My hometown of Cornwall, which is only about an hour away from Ottawa, is a pretty small town, it's about 50,000 people, and there wasn't a lot going on. I was feeling kind of lonely, we'll say. I was uh, single. I was living in my parents' place and, um, you know, it was really hard to meet someone and I really wanted to meet someone. So part of me is like, I need to go to a bigger city. I need to go where there's more people, more density. And yeah, so I moved to Ottawa and I got a job there uh, with a organization, a private organization that helped motor vehicle accident victims. Okay. So they were a 
pretty established company. They had, I think they had about 40 employees at the time and they basically did community care as well. They would go out in the community and they would help provide services to those that needed it. And that was a, a nice transition from having done some community work to having been in the clinic, getting a little bit more of challenging perspective on what was um, coming through the door, basically people coming in with problems that I needed to diagnose and assess. And now with this new organization, um, it started to become more complex. So I was getting my fix of needing to problem solve and I was definitely being challenged. There was no question about it. Ultimately, the people that I was serving or helping within this organization or this company was people who were in a um, motor vehicle accident, so car collision, motorbike collision, something like this, and they are they were also involved in some sort of traumatic brain injury or concussion. So meaning they had some sort of head injury, along with some other physical ailments as well. And this company was established for I don't even know. I think it was about fifteen years at the time, maybe even longer, twenty years, and. They had all of the clinicians needed to help serve people that were in this current situation. So speech pathologists for helping with speech and language, occupational therapists helping with occupation, ultimately, you know, at home care to some degree, setting them up so that they can continue to do activities of daily living, getting back to their job. Other professionals like um, case managers, there was some psychotherapists or behavioral therapists, some rehabilitation support people, vocational therapists, and then a variety of supportive staff. Ultimately, it was a collective team where they worked together to help support people who really needed the support after having a you know a pretty severe car accident. Um, and a lot of it was funded through insurance, which was obviously very helpful for the clients themselves. The one thing that was missing, though, was that they didn't actually have a physiotherapy department. So I was actually the first one that came through to this organization, which was kind of cool. Um, and I was able to establish a physiotherapy setup for them, which mean, which meant that I could actually create the system that I felt was most appropriate for people. So having come from a company that was ultimately trying to not let's say force, but encourage their therapists to see at least three people an hour. To me, I was like, you know what? These people require more than that. They need more attention. It takes more time to build rapport with people, especially for complex care, someone with a head injury or concussion or a motor vehicle accident. Um, I felt like they needed a lot more attention. So, and because this this company was fantastic and I met the founders and they were, you know, we, we hit it off. They, they basically said, hey, we're going to take your lead. You go ahead and create this physiotherapy department and you create the protocols that you feel is necessary. So I did that. And I actually said that I wanted each person to have one hour of attention. It was like a standard rule. Ultimately, for the physiotherapy department, if they were to uh, come in and basically have an assessment and, and a session, it was a minimum of an hour. Okay, generally speaking, you know, obviously if it took less time and the, the problem was less complicated, then, you know, it could be less than that. But overall, each person was dedicated an hour, which was kind of like, it wasn't a regular thing in the physiotherapy world. Um, so that was what I wanted to set up. And that's ultimately what I curated for about four years uh, while I was there, or maybe it was five years while I was there, it was ultimately a system where people were able to get the attention that they needed. It allowed enough time for the therapist and the the client or the patient to be able to build a bit of a rapport, to get to understand each other, 
to you know create the space to be able to hear out the problems uh, to fully understand each other so that there's a better relationship for healing better relationship for rehabilitation which was really important to me and because i was given the platform to do that through this company um i ended up sticking around for you know five years and also the other thing that was helpful for me in this situation is because of the complexity of so many people coming through the door, so many people that were being referred, you know, just for an example, someone was coming in with <clears throat> traumatic brain injury and they also had like a, you know, an injured shoulder and whiplash in their neck. And then they also had a bone fracture in their knee and they also rolled their ankle. So I basically got what I asked for is complex care, right? It was no longer simple things where someone was coming in the door and they had a knee replacement. Now it was someone was coming in the door and they had all these physical ailments and they also had these mental limitations or emotional limitations, which was ultimately related to the brain injury or the concussion. And if you're unfamiliar with that area, ultimately, if you have a concussion or a brain injury, you have a unpredictable amount of symptoms that come through the body related to the nervous system that can be, you know, sensitivities to light, sensitivities to sound, um, you could be emotionally more sensitive. Ultimately, it's, it's kind of like rolling the dice on what might actually come through for you. So for me as a physiotherapist, I wasn't treating a lot of that. Um, I was treating the physical ailments, but I had to navigate all those other challenging sensitivities at the same time. So that's what made this very complex and which also required that additional time, that extra, you know, 40 minutes, if you will, to fully give the person the care that they needed, the time that they needed to build that rapport, to ultimately create a treatment plan that's going to make them feel good about moving forward with me as the therapist. Okay, so now that you've got a pretty good synopsis of my physiotherapy career, we'll say, um, even though I'm still currently treating people, um, <clears throat> it's not as intense as it was when I was working with these other companies where I was seeing, you know, eight to 10 to 15 people a day, quite intense um, and a lot of action going on. So now it's significantly less than that. But before we kind of jump into how this all transitions into yoga, while I was doing the complex care and while I was helping people with, um, you know, these traumatic brain injuries, these um, concussions and these complex injuries, I found myself often referring people for yoga and even though I didn't practice yoga, I knew a little bit about it. I understood the mechanics. I understood the benefits, the physical benefits of yoga. I would sometimes demonstrate a couple poses. I'd be like, oh, you know, this would be, you know, doing some cobra, some light cobra, some sphinx poses to be able to like open up your back a little bit, open up your front body and, you know, create some movement in your spine. And basically I would give some examples of some poses for people to do, but then also I would just encourage them to go to yoga so that they could actually, you know, help to rehabilitate their current condition. And I was referring people when they were appropriate for yoga. Okay. So that was kind of how I first got involved in yoga, if that even makes sense, right? I wasn't actually practicing or anything like that, but I just knew the benefits of it. And I think this was probably around the time that yoga started to become a little bit more popular in the area that we were. Um, in fact, I think her founder had started to organize someone to come in during lunchtime to teach yoga for about 30 or 45 minutes, maybe it was 60 minutes um, during lunchtime to ultimately break up the day to give some 
of the workers, um, a little bit of exercise, you know, middle mental health um, check-in, stuff like that, because of the complexity of the work that we were doing. It was just nice to break that up. Admittedly, I never went to one of the yoga classes, um, but I did hear that, you know, people really enjoyed it and they got good experiences from it for all the reasons that we already know. So after this job that I had, and even though my involvement with yoga was very minimal, um, I actually, I love treating injuries. I love helping people with their physical ailments. And chances are, if you're a yoga teacher and you're listening to this, you probably have an interest in doing that as well. Because let's be, let's face it, like we like to help people, right? As yoga teachers, we want to help people. And if someone has some sort of physical problem, we want to help them as well, which is probably why you're listening to me because you're, you know, you, you, you want to take away as much as you can and why you follow me to be able to learn a little bit more about injury prevention, about injury rehabilitation, how you can support your own clients and so on and so forth. That being said, I ended up moving to Bali, um, not because, and ultimately I didn't want to quit my job and like travel the world and leave reality as people like to call it. I wanted a little bit more freedom in my life. So I decided, uh, with my partner who I had met, uh, during the years that I was working at this clinic, um, or this organization or this company, um, Christina, we had met uh, during that time period in Ottawa. Ultimately, we decided that we wanted to free up our life by putting our (laughs) working life on hold and traveling the world. So we actually created a whole plan or structure around getting ready to travel the world for about 12 months. That was the original plan. Even though deep down we kind of knew that we probably weren't going to come back, um, we were setting setting ourselves up to say, like, let's go travel the world for 12 months and then see what happens. So fortunately, uh, even though I had told my my company that I wanted to quit uh, and move on, they didn't want to let me go. So they told me to just take a sabbatical for a year and then reconsider what happens after a year um, to come back or not come back, which I was like, okay, well, that's a pretty good deal. So I'll take that. <laughs> um, so that's ultimately what we did is I left that organization. Um, Christina had just finished her master's in social work and we had taken off. We left Canada in October, 2017, which is uh, almost about four years ago now. And, uh, the plan was to travel around for 12 months. We had a huge spreadsheet to just basically visit all these countries to explore and just have the year of our life. And like most things, when you plan it, it doesn't always work out exactly the way that you want it to. Um, but for the, for the better in this situation, uh, we started in Vietnam and we traveled for, basically the whole month throughout that entire country. And if you want to, and I think I mentioned this before, but if you want to have a good laugh, you can go to our YouTube channel, Journey of a Compass, and you can actually watch the entire series of us traveling through um, Vietnam. I think there's about 10 or 11 videos. Um, (laughs) It's kind of embarrassing, but if you want to laugh, you can go check it out. Um, It's pretty good. So the plan was to actually be travel bloggers while we were traveling around to make some sort of income to be able to sustain ourselves. Um, and that wasn't something that we necessarily wanted to do. It was something that we thought we needed to do in order to, you know, make a living while traveling around and, um, not necessarily just burn all of our money and all of our savings. Um, we also had some friends who were successful at doing that as well. And so we were trying to follow in their footsteps, but needless to say, it didn't last very long. Um, even though the YouTube channel kind of has a few, of those setup videos of us basically preparing to travel the world for 12 months. 
Um, and then we actually started to travel and record some of those things. Um, it, it went to a hard halt after that because it just wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't for us that type of lifestyle, recording everything. It just wasn't working very well for us. It didn't sit well with us. Even though that's kind of how the world is working right now. <laughs> we, we jumped out pretty quickly. Um, needless to say, it was fun at the time. So you can go check it out. Journey of a Compass if you want to have a laugh. But what happened was after we were visiting Vietnam, uh, we actually got an invitation from a friend that we had met through um, an online business mastermind. And he said, why don't you guys come to Bali? Um, and I had never even met this guy before. He basically said, you should, you should just come to Bali. It'll be great. You'll have a great time. Like, you know, you can come stay with us. No big deal. And I was just like, oh yeah, yeah, cool. That sounds, sounds good. You know how people are. People are sometimes they'll invite you to things, but they don't really want you to to come. Like it's kind of like a joke, but not really serious. So I was taking it with a grain of salt. Talked to Christine about it. And I was like, oh yeah, I had the conversation with this guy, and he was inviting us to Bali. He was going to stay with. Uh, said that we could stay with him for a month, and I was like, oh, it seems kind of you know, not really realistic. And then I just kind of like left it. And a couple of weeks later, he messaged me saying like, hey, like are you are you coming or what? Like oh, I'm just trying to figure out if uh, we need to like, you know, block off that room for you or whatever. So I was like, okay, actually, yeah, like we'll come. And, you know, we offered to pay for the room and the time. And he's like, no, 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 don't worry. Just come and have, you'll have a blast. So we did, we, we left Vietnam. Our plan was to go, I forget where we were going to go after Vietnam, but basically we, we canceled that and flew to Bali and uh, ended up staying with these two friends who are now some of the closest friends that we have and they showed us around and we just loved Bali, loved it so much. Um, and they were staying in Ubud, which is where we are now. And we fell in love with it. We stayed here as long as our visa would allow us. And that was actually one of the first times that I took a yoga class. So now we're bringing it back full circle to yoga, right? I wasn't just going to talk about physiotherapy in my life forever. Eventually I was going to bring it back to yoga. So while I was there, these friends of ours uh, or these new friends of ours were going to classes at the yoga barn. And one of the teachers that they were going to see was Paul Teodo. And it was the first class that I'd ever taken. And it was with Paul. It was a vinyasa class. And it was, you know, I don't remember the intricacies too much. But what I do remember is I was running regularly. One of my passions while we were traveling was to run, to keep into shape. Or to keep in shape. And after this yoga class, I went for a run the next day. And my hips felt so open that the time that I forget what I was averaging per kilometer or per mile, but it had like dropped significantly. It was like 20% faster or something like this. It was ridiculous. And I was just like, hold on, this is something doesn't feel right. Um, and then I started to kind of put two and two together and I was like, oh, I think my body really started to open up from that yoga practice and my running really benefited from it. So I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. So that was my first introduction to yoga, you know, the physical benefits, which is, you know, often what a lot of people kind of get. Um, some people have more of the emotional and mental benefits, but mine was a physical one. And I would practice yoga, you know, whenever they would go, maybe once a week, every once in a while. I felt super uncomfortable to some degree because I didn't really know much about yoga. And um, I just felt like I was out of my element. Fortunately, because Paul's classes were pretty strong and pretty good in the sense of making me feel seen and heard, um, I felt safe to go there. And, you know, I would attend his classes for the few months that I was in Bali. And then ultimately what happened is we would, <clears throat> we left Bali and we continued our travels a little bit, went to Australia, um, Singapore, Malaysia, and so on. And then eventually we came back to Bali after a few months 
And we just decided, you know what, like Bali's just so great. Why would we want to leave and go continue to travel elsewhere? I mean, like we wanted to travel, but we just missed it. The whole time we were away, we kept thinking like, I can't wait to go back to Bali. Like Bali's just oh, it's so, so great. So, um, so we ended up coming back to Bali a few months later and we stayed for about five months. So during that time, I did significantly more yoga. I started to practice in different things as well, getting into breath work, working on my own mental and emotional health, trying different things and stuff, um, all kind of centered around yoga to some degree. Now, this is where it kind of gets interesting for me with regards to yoga is even though we stayed in, in Bali for about five months, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. At the end of that five month period, we, we wanted to try to basically find something to do where we could make some money because we were we had been traveling for almost a half a year if not longer yeah longer than that now it's almost about eight months at that point and I was like you know we need to we need to figure out how to make some money I want to continue this I don't want to have to go back and and work in an office or in a in a clinic where I have all this sense of freedom now I want to do something different so we had a, a fortunate opportunity where the friends of ours who were travel bloggers ended up buying an old hotel in Costa Rica and they had renovated it and transitioned it into a eco lodge and they needed managers to take care of it to ultimately manage the property so as close friends of theirs they said hey do you guys want to come and stay in our hotel um, we'll basically pay for your room and board and we'll give you a stipend and it's about 150 meters from the beach yeah okay yeah we can, we can go do that that sounds great so that's what we ended up doing. We ended up leaving Bali, um, flying over to Canada, actually, to spend some time with family before we got, went down to Costa Rica, kind of going through that transition process of setting up that whole opportunity. And even though the opportunity itself didn't last that long, we were only there for about three months. It wasn't exactly what we wanted to do. Managing a hotel was a little bit challenging for us. It wasn't really in our wheelhouse of excitement. Um, we still enjoyed it. We still learned a lot. We ended up learning Spanish, uh, which was really cool because a lot of the workers there didn't speak English. So we were basically forced to learn how to speak Spanish, which was, which was awesome. But one of the things that was really beneficial for me is because we were kind of um, secluded from other towns and areas, we were basically about 30 minutes from the closest town, but close to the beach. Every morning for I think it was about a month, if not longer, I would practice yoga. Just whatever I thought I knew, you know, I would just practice things that I remember taking from or taking away from the classes that I had attended uh, at the yoga barn with Paul's classes. And I would just wake up at like 7 a.m. I'd go to this like platform space that was kind of deserted and empty, but it was covered right in the middle of the jungle. And I would just practice yoga for about an hour, an hour and a half every single day. And I loved it. I don't even remember what I was doing. I was just like moving my body and just like trying all these things. And it was fantastic. And I had a couple moments where I was just like, wow, this is, this is enlightening. You know, I'd go in Shavasana, I'd lay there and I'd focus on breathing. I'd start doing some breath work after my yoga practice. And I don't, I don't even need to get into the, to the experience too much because everyone has their own different experience when it comes to yoga. But I was feeling a lot of um, higher level of consciousness as a result of this practice. Uh, during those 30 or so days and I wanted to continue doing this for forever basically um, but because our time in Costa Rica was coming to an end um, the environment or the situation didn't really um, well, well in Costa Rica it actually made it really easy to practice yoga but we ended up moving to Mexico uh, in the mountains after 
for a few months. And for whatever reason, it was maybe just there was more distractions. I just, I didn't practice yoga after that. I just, I kind of forgot about it. It, it no longer was in my routine. And, you know, long story short, ultimately after Costa Rica, after that experience, after Mexico, we ended up going back to Bali. Surprise, surprise. Because we love Bali so much. And this was almost about two and a half years ago now, basically right before the pandemic. We decided we wanted to come back to Bali. We actually had a return ticket that we had never um, forfeited. We, even though we were going to Costa Rica to, to manage this hotel, part of us was like, we're going to go back to Bali, so let's get a return ticket. So we ended up pushing that flight a few times to make sure that it worked with our schedule. But ultimately, yeah, we went back to Bali. And when we did, um, I was definitely more interested in the yoga this time around, um, more so than I was before. I, it's almost like I got tastes and bits, bits and pieces of it over the years, or over the year, I should say. And, you know, that experience with the 30 days of yoga that I was just like, I, I think I need to do a little bit more of this. So we ended up going to the Bali Spirit Festival, which is very yoga focused. And ultimately, I started to practice more yoga on a regular basis, going more to Paul's classes, doing some yin yang classes, some variety things trying out different stuff all the while needing to also remember that I needed to make some money, right? Can't travel and live abroad and do all this stuff without actually having some sort of income source. So truth be told, after the Costa Rica experience in Mexico, I ended up creating a online business for nutrition consulting, having spent a lot of time in the nutrition space for myself being self-taught as well as taking some nutrition classes throughout the years uh, in university. And also I had put on a lot of weight and I never mentioned this. I put on a lot of weight when I was in Australia because I wasn't exercising nearly as much and I was eating not the healthiest, we'll say. Um, so I went through my own little journey, which is a whole separate story where I ended up losing a significant amount of weight and kind of like getting a lot healthier physically. So I started to take a lot of the experiences and lessons that I learned from that in helping other people. Now, because a lot of my family in America, because my mom is from America, my dad is from Canada, my mom's side of the family um, had a lot of people, basically diabetes was running in our family. So there was a lot of people in my family that were pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic. And I felt a very strong drive to help them, to help support them as well as other people in general. But ultimately, I started to create this business, this um what I was hoping to be an income source to help people like my family, but also other people that were struggling to eat well, to take care of their bodies through nutrition. Um, and I created a whole program around this, whole online program, coaching program, which uh, I ran for some time and it was successful in a lot of ways. Um, but the problem with that is that it, it didn't have the same passion that, I, that was gonna sustain me through the years. There was something about it that just didn't feel right. And ultimately what happened was I ended up hiring a coach, a business coach to help me with figuring out the best ways to, you know, market this, to get this out there and stuff like that. And what she told me was, if you're going to be in this space, this nutrition space, you're going to need to talk about weight loss. You're, you're going to need to talk about losing weight, about the scale and all this stuff. And that didn't sit well with me. It wasn't something that I felt really excited to do. It felt very disingenuine. Um, and not to get into it too much, but to me, that stuff didn't matter. The scale, the weighing yourself, how much you weigh. It wasn't about that. It was about the feeling, how you felt after you eat food, 
tapping into yourself, feeling into the body awareness, getting a little bit more of that intuitive eating perspective, which you could arguably talk about. It's all related to yoga. So ultimately that business adventure didn't last. And I ended up quitting it almost actually the same time that the pandemic started to roll in. So around March, 2020. And I just, I just quit. You know, I was about to do a webinar online. I remember it vividly. I was about to do a webinar online talking about weight loss. And like, I, I felt my body like convulsing because I felt so disingenuine to actually talk about that. And I, that's when I knew I was like, this is not what I need to be doing. This is not for me at all. I need to be doing something else. And like, I just, I can't do this anymore. So I ended up quitting. I just stopped doing that. I was like, I want to stick to what I know. I want to stick in my wheelhouse. Like I have all these years of physiotherapy experience. And I was like, I just, I want to do more of this. How can I do more of this? And to be honest, I didn't know the answer to the question. It took me a long time. I think I spent about two or three months just kind of doing nothing. Um, During the beginning of the pandemic, which was kind of appropriate, I think a lot of people were in the same boat, but not so much voluntarily. A lot of them lost their jobs, as some of you probably know, but I had voluntarily just stopped doing that work and had enough support through my partner, Christina, as well as some savings to be able to take that time. And I, 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 while I took some time to actually just like be, I also did some work to try to figure out what would be the best thing for me to do. So I was looking at some options and, you know, trying to decide if I wanted to do some coding or working with my cousin or working with some friends, doing some video editing. Like I have a a wide range of skills that can be used in the digital world. Um, But I was just like, you know, I kind of want to stick to what I know. Like I like this physiotherapy thing. Like how can I apply this here? And while I can't necessarily... create a large scale business here in, in Bali teaching or not teaching, but uh, treating clients, um, through physiotherapy, I actually wanted to create something, especially because of the pandemic, I actually wanted to create something that was going to be some, something more sustainable, something that could actually help people all over the world and not just in a location dependent. So I wanted to continue to have that location independence, that freedom. So that if I decided that I wanted to leave Bali and go back to Canada, or if I wanted to go to Mexico again, or if I wanted to go to Costa Rica or whatever, then I could do that. So ultimately moving back into that online space. But I was like, how can I do this physiotherapy thing and this online space thing at the same time? And I was like, ah, that's not really a thing, right? There's like telehealth and stuff like that. But from a physiotherapy perspective, I'm very hands-on, right? I'm very, very hands-on. My, my hands are like ultimately my tools for success because I have a a very intuitive sense of being able to tell what's going on in people's bodies whenever I start to put my hands on them and assess their situation. That sounds kind of weird, but ultimately that's what I do as a physiotherapist, right? My hands are my tools. So during this time where I was basically taking some time off for a few months, kind of exploring options, but not actually committing to anything, I ended up helping a few people, doing a few little side projects, making a little bit of income here and there. Uh, but nothing that was like really going to make a big difference. And someone came up to me, um, a yoga teacher here, came up to me and said, hey, you're a physiotherapist, right? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you know, there's a huge problem in the yoga industry right now with teachers just not being safe and there's a lot of injuries going on. And I just don't feel like teachers are being trained the best way that they can be trained to, you know, prevent injuries and ultimately support and help the public. She's like, I feel like that's something that you can help with. 
And I was like, yeah, that's like, like, that sounds like something I can do, like for sure. And I was like curious about it. And that's kind of what sparked the whole idea. She came to me and just asked me about it. So I was like, okay, let's sit down and talk about it. So you know, I sat down with her and she told me more of the scenario of what the synopsis of the yoga industry was and ultimately how there are a lot of injuries that take place. And after doing, you know, some research post conversation with her, I learned that like 30% of people who practice yoga get injured at some point whether it be a new injury or some sort of old injury that gets exacerbated or um, aggravated. So I was like, okay, this is an interesting space because I can apply a lot of what I know to help and solve this problem that exists. So let's dive a little bit deeper. So I did, I spent a lot of time doing some market research, looking into this, interviewing lots of yoga teachers, people that I knew from here, people that I had met over the, the time that I was traveling to different locations, different countries. And I interviewed a, like a ton of people and only 6% of people actually said that they felt ready to teach yoga after completing a yoga teacher training. And I was like, whoa, that's a very small percentage. And obviously I had some follow-up questions to ask like what it was that was missing. And there was a whole bunch of different things. You know, it wasn't just about anatomy. It wasn't just about injury prevention. So part of me is like, okay, well, I can help with that stuff but there seems to be more to it. But I was like, okay, like this, this is a great starting point. So I want to, I want to dive into this a bit more. And while I could really understand, you know, the biomechanics of the body with anatomy, with yoga and kind of connecting the two worlds, part of me was like, I think I need to, to test out a few more things. So I ended up holding free workshops here in Bali for about eight weeks. Uh, and this was at the beginning of the pandemic, but uh, we hadn't gone into lockdown or anything here. It was still pretty mild in, in nature. So I was offering these free sessions to yoga teachers here where they would just come and we would just talk about anatomy stuff. You know, they'd ask me questions or we'd talk about a certain topic, about the hips or about the shoulders. And, you know, we would just have some fun. So to me, that was a really great experience because I got to learn so much about what yoga teachers need and want. And then I was able to deliver based off of those needs. So after I'd done a whole bunch of these workshops, it was like, you know what? I think I actually need to do something more. I think I actually need to be or go through the process of becoming a yoga teacher, right? I need to know what it feels like. I need to know what the process is like to actually do a yoga teacher training to be able to support and understand what it's like to be a yoga teacher and not necessarily feel ready to teach. So I did exactly that. And how did that happen? Well, I ended up meeting Paul. Well, I shouldn't say I met Paul because I was taking his classes, but we haven't actually had a lot of conversations outside of just me attending his classes. And we ended up meeting each other through a mutual friend to start this podcast, actually. Um, so earlier on, when we first started this podcast, it wasn't about yoga. It was, well, it was, but it was, it was actually called the Rat Race Rebellion podcast. So it was more about, you know, living your best life, traveling the world, ultimately going towards your goals, reaching your dreams, all of this stuff. And Paul was one of the hosts with my friend Brent, and I was actually just helping as a tech support in the background. So that's kind of how I started to get to know Paul and like, you know, one of the first episodes of this podcast, I think it was the second or third episode, Paul actually interviews me about back problems or back injuries and how it's related to yoga. And it actually would be interesting to listen to if you wanted to listen, listen to episode two, you can tell how inexperienced I am with yoga because I didn't even remember some of the names of some basic poses and stuff like that, right? I just knew how to practice it. I didn't know a lot of that other stuff. 
Um, so I thought it was pretty interesting to ultimately start to dive into this a bit more. And I was like, you know what, like maybe I should do a teacher training. And there was a couple people that I wanted to do a teacher training with Ian Finn, who is from Vancouver, BC is a very, very well-established yoga teacher. Uh, he's been doing it for years. Super cool guy. I attended a bunch of his classes here in Changu. And my friend Brent actually did his teacher training and highly recommended it. So that's who I wanted to do the teacher training with. But uh, his teacher training got canceled because of COVID. But Paul was doing one. He was doing one in October of uh, 2020. And it was an online one. So it was over three months, but it was also in person. And since I was here in Bali, I could participate in the in-person portion. So I thought to myself, I was like, you know what, maybe I will do that. And then I said, hey, I was like, I'll join your training. And I'm curious, I was like, is, do you have someone to teach the anatomy? Do you have someone that would be doing the anatomy portion? And he's like, I actually don't have anyone yet. He's like, would you like to do it? And I was like, absolutely, yeah. So he felt that I was already credible enough to do it just through a few interview podcasts that we had done and just through some conversation. So he had entrusted me to, to take on that role. So I had become a teacher student during this training, which was really, really cool. So going through the teacher training with Paul and Byron, who you guys know now because Byron's been on the podcast several times and is now a regular host. I had such a great experience, not just because of the physical practice of yoga, but just the overall experience of connecting with different people, building that community, which is a lot of the benefit that comes from doing a teacher training. So I don't want to throw too many rocks at yoga teacher trainings in general, but you know, to do a teacher training in 21 days, 24 days, a month, in a short period of time, there's a lot of stuff to learn. There's a lot of stuff to integrate, to digest, to put into practice that it's super overwhelming. And it's like almost, I don't want to say it's impossible, but there's, there's, it's no wonder why only 6% of people said they felt ready to teach yoga out of all the people that I've interviewed because the overall experience is really intense, right? It's an immersive experience. So the yoga teacher training that I did was three months. So it was a little bit more spread out. I was able to kind of absorb a bit more, integrate. And while I was teaching at the same time, I was basically creating a curriculum while I was also, you know, following the, the teachings of yoga. But what I did get was a lot of feedback from the students after we had done this training saying that they really, really enjoyed my teaching style. They really enjoyed how I came at this yoga from a different perspective, from this injury prevention perspective, and how I kept things simple and easy to digest and relatable and accessible for them. So I was like, hey, this is, this is great. This is very validating, first of all. And it's very helpful because this is actually what I want to do. I want to pursue this a little bit more. I want to be able to support yoga teachers so that they can actually do their thing. You know, they can help to support other people physically, mentally, emotionally, and not have to worry about, you know, causing injuries, not have to worry about like saying the wrong thing, not having to worry about if someone comes up to them and asks them a question about injuries, to be able to give them the tools that they need in order to circumvent or to move past those obstacles and not see them as barriers so that they can build enough confidence to be able to do their thing. Simple as that. So after the teacher training, it was such a success and, and you know, Paul and Byron loved my teaching style so much that they invited me to continue to do their trainings together, which I was like, this is great. I can't wait to continue to do this, except we're in the middle of a pandemic. So how are we going to continue to do this? Very difficult to do. So what ended up happening was I decided, well, you know what? There's no reason why we can't do some sort of thing online, 
right? So I actually started to brainstorm this idea of going pro, right? This is kind of how it all came into fruition. I was like, you know what? Maybe we can just help support teachers outside of a teacher training where we literally just cater to their needs. You know, let's, let's just get a group of people who don't feel confident to teach yoga, even though they've done a teacher training. Let's just sit down and teach them whatever it is that they need, whatever gaps they feel are within their learning or whatever voids they feel like need to be filled with regards to teaching injuries, anatomy, sequencing, teaching technique, whatever. So I started to have this conversation with Paul and he was on board. He was excited about it. And then we started to talk about it and advertise it and share it on Instagram. And then all of a sudden Byron said, Hey, that sounds like a cool project. Can I get in on that? So then Byron joined on and ultimately this whole idea started to attract two of these very experienced teachers into my world. And I've been very new to this yoga world, right? I've only done my teacher training not even a year ago. And I've only been practicing yoga inconsistently over the last few years. And this is, this is how Going Pro started. We basically created a group of people. We didn't create. We, we attracted a group of people who didn't feel ready to teach yoga. I think we had about 12 people. And it was a beta test. We were very transparent. It was the first time we were doing it. We were going to be, you know, basically figuring it out as we went. And that group of 12 people were fantastic. They were very supportive and understanding that, you know, we were kind of doing it on the fly. But we were very confident in our abilities to be able to support teachers in the way that we needed to support them. So it was easy for us to do. But nonetheless, we didn't have the structure down pat. So it was a completely online program. And over that six-week program, the mentorship program, which we are still doing, um, this mentorship program, we were able to see so in-depthly what was needed for yoga teachers to be able to build their confidence, build their craft, and ultimately help support the people around them and teach yoga in such a way that made them feel authentic and real and ultimately change the lives of those around them through yoga practice, through the physical practice, the emotional, the mental practice, and even spiritual practice for some. So that was amazing. It was, it was such an amazing experience to go through that mentorship program. But the thing that kind of really brought it all together was that because it was an online program, and even though we were able to deliver through Zoom, there was a lot of pieces that I wanted to continue to support these teachers with. And that involved a lot of resources. It involved a lot of videos, a lot of, you know, basically any kind of thing that we could provide them so that they could continue to learn outside of our mentorship live calls outside of any training that they do. And that's what birthed the platform that we are currently working on now, which is the going pro sequencing vault, ultimately the going pro library of content. We haven't even given it a fancy name yet. We're working on that still, it's still in production, but ultimately it's a platform for yoga teachers to go and just continue to learn, to continue to develop their skills and their craft, to build their confidence and ultimately to go pro right? To be, become a professional yoga instructor that can do all of those fantastic things for the people around them. So that's kind of how this whole thing came into fruition. And we're still working on it now. Like it's literally being made as we're going through it, as you're probably listening to this podcast It's probably, I don't even know if it's going to be ready by the time that this podcast comes out. Probably not. But the point is, is it's all kind of coming together in a really strange kind of awesome way. So that's basically the whole story of how my yoga journey, which started from attending Paul's classes or one of Paul's classes, oh, when was it? 2017. So that was like four years ago. 
to the point now where I'm actually, you know, I'm a yoga teacher. I'm actually going to be supporting teachers. I'm going to be teaching anatomy, teaching injury prevention, providing all these resources, working alongside some of the, or two of the best teachers that I know that exist who've worked in LA, worked in some of the best studios, the biggest studios, the busiest studios in the world, and are now currently both working at Yoga Barn, which is a world-renowned yoga studio here in Bali. So I'm, I feel privileged, I feel honored to be able to work alongside them, that I was able to attract them and their interest towards doing this program together to help support yoga teachers like you. So I'm very, very grateful. And that's ultimately how I'm going to end this podcast, is that I'm very grateful for me to be able to come to this point, to be able to serve and support you guys in whatever way that I can, that we can, and um, the team that we've put together now that's what our goal is. We're dedicated to you. We're dedicated to yoga teachers to support you guys in the best way that we can, whether it be through in-person trainings, online trainings, or this platform that we're putting together or the podcast. I mean, the podcast has the same goal, right? The whole reason why we create these podcasts is to inspire you, to provide you with some valuable information to walk away with and that you can ultimately take and, and continue to develop your craft and your experience in teaching yoga. Okay. Wow. That was a long podcast. 50 minutes. But you know what? It was a lot to share. And I had a lot of people ask me to continue the story from the uh, the first episode that I did, uh, or not the first episode, but episode 39, the first part of my story. So this is the continuation to the story all the way up to almost today. It's pretty, pretty present now. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I know some of these long, longer podcasts can be harder to digest. I actually like shorter podcasts, but you know, in order to encapsulate this entire story, I figured I needed to share it all in one. So again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a beautiful, beautiful day. And if you're actually interested in learning more about this Going, for, going Pro platform or joining any of these mentorship programs that we have, um, you can go to yttmasterclass.com and join the waitlist for basically all of the above. Even though nothing is in full production yet or nothing is actually available to be accessed, it will be in the near distant future. So if you do have an interest in pursuing that or to learn a little bit more, please put your name on the wait list and we will make sure to inform you when it's all said and done. All right, that's it for me. Have a beautiful, beautiful day and we'll see you next time. Take care.